All right. Thank you so much. Good morning. Good morning. It's glad, I'm glad to be back here and seeing you guys. I wasn't sure how many we'd have today after uh, that amount of eating. I know sometimes you need uh, time to digest, and I bet you guys put some food away, didn't you? You know I did, right? Oh, my goodness. I'm glad no one was here to watch me eat. Well, it's good to see you. I hope you had a really happy Thanksgiving. We are now full-blown in the Christmas season. Um, I couldn't be more excited about that. But I tell you, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, I would like to read these first 14 verses of this Christmas story. Now, this is a Christmas play, a Christmas pageant. These, these, these pageants and plays will be based on Luke 2, and they're going to be reenacted all throughout every Christian church in this nation. I mean, this story announces the Christmas season everywhere in every Christian church, they will be reading this text at some point. And we're going to start right off with it. Luke 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration, registration when Quirinius was governor of Sirius, Assyria. Excuse me. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Some of your Bibles say goodwill, or goodwill among men. What an awesome story. It's an incredible story. And you will watch TV shows, you'll see movies, you'll watch reenactments at churches, whether it's a live thing outside or a play. It's going to happen all over the place, and it's based on this wonderful story. Before I get started, the route I want to take is one, it's of an illustration when I first started seminary that I never forgot. It's such a cool illustration. It's about tapestries. You can think of it, your large manors or your castles in England, Ireland, Scotland. Uh, I've never been there, but virtually I have. And when you can look at some of these the interior design, you'll see these massive tapestries that must have took, good gracious, I don't know how many hours, man and woman hours to make. But they have these beautiful tapestries. And stepping back, you can see the whole picture. It's awesome. But what I want to do is, this illustration about the tapestries, we have to get really close. Let's get nose right up to it, right? Nose touching the fabric, the threads. 
you can see the intricate details woven into this tapestry. And while you can see those intricate details, you have to step back to kind of understand where they fit in the components. And then you have to step back further to see how they're placed with the things around them. And pretty soon you need to step back far enough where you can see what we call the big picture, the whole picture. And that's the title of my sermon today, Let's Look at the Big Picture. And we're going to look at the big picture of Luke 2, the Christmas story. So in Luke, he stresses a few things right off the beginning. He tells us there's a political situation going on. And this is explaining why Jesus' birth took place in Bethlehem. I'll get more to that in a minute. There's also um, that Bethlehem was the town of David to stress the claim that Jesus made, that messianic claim that he was the Messiah coming from this town, coming from the line of David. And of course, also Luke points out the humble circumstances of Jesus' birth. Now, you guys know I like to kind of think outside the box sometime, and I wondered about this. You know, Luke was a physician, but he was also what I like to call an investigative reporter. Luke was extremely thorough. And it's interesting, how did Luke know all these details concerning the birth of Jesus? You know, in the book, at the beginning of his book, he tells us something. He says, listen, to his readers, to his audience, I wanted to set and give an orderly account of things. I wanted to base this orderly account on eyewitness testimony. So I kept thinking to myself, you know, Joseph, by the way, Luke was written years after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. It was like 15 years later, something like that. And Joseph wasn't around. We know that Joseph wasn't around then. So he didn't talk to Joseph. He did not talk to the angels. I'm sure Luke would have written that. We didn't even know who the shepherds were. We don't know their names. I don't think he investigated them. And then that verse kept popping in my head. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. You know, it's very likely, very likely, and I believe it personally, that Luke's source was Mary herself. Mary was around He could have easily asked these questions because she treasured all these things. So it's very clear that he had an eyewitness account, whether it was Mary or the kids, somebody knew firsthand this information. And these were memories for Mary that were not like far removed. They weren't vague. You've got to imagine how much she treasured everything that happened. She took it all in. She probably pondered them as she nursed Jesus. She probably pondered and, and, and wondered about them as she watched him grow in his youth. She probably treasured all these things as he grew into a man, from a child to a man, and his ministry just unfolding before her eyes. So let's inch away from our tapestry. We're really, really close. Let's take a couple inches back and see some of the intricate details. I like to call it what's happening. Let's see what's happening. There was an emperor named Caesar Augustus, and it's important to realize Luke puts these things in there for a purpose. Caesar Augustus, he issued this decree. He issued this census, if you will. And it was no coincidence that this imperial decree of Caesar's happened to take place at this time, forcing Mary and Joseph to make the journey to Bethlehem. But it's interesting. Why this census? Why now? Well, in my studies, there was a man named Herod the Great. You probably remember him. Herod the Great, he was the ruler of Judea. Judea was a client kingdom. 
you got to remember, they were under Roman rule. So he had to do what the emperor said. But in my studies, I learned that um, Herod the Great and Caesar Augustus, he was not a huge fan of Herod the Great, Caesar. He was much older. He was failing in health. And I would want to take stock of that area if I knew this man was, you know, failing in health, it wasn't good, and there wasn't a good relationship. I'd want to take stock because what a census does is it, it recruits military. He wanted to build his army. So you want to know who's of age. I mean, these people wrote their family names, their ages, their occupations, what they owned. They wanted to know who was a viable age to be in the military. The biggest reason was for taxation. Am I missing out on any money here? I could easily be missing out on money. Let's have a census and let's see. So there's the reasons to take stock of the kingdom, of your empire. And that's what Caesar Augustus was doing. However, even though he was the most powerful emperor in the world at the time, he was acting out the decree of God himself. This was not just his decree. This was God's plan. Caesar Augustus was basically a pawn in the hands of the Lord. you got to remember Joseph, Mary, Herod the Great, Quirinius, Caesar, they all played a role. They all filled a purpose, but it was within God's plan. God is the reason Jesus was in Bethlehem. But he was an important man. He was a very important man. He began all kinds of building programs. He built up a really strong government. He really did. He regulated commerce and trade. And he strengthened. The reason I'm talking about Caesar is right here. He strengthened the military so big. So such a strong military um, that Rome was at peace during his entire reign, basically. With his leadership was born that famous period. You might, guys might have heard this term, Pax Romana, right? Pax Romana. This means the peace of Rome. So, he did much to advance the culture of Roman emperor, the empire. He really did. In fact, towards the end of his life, he was quoted saying, I found Rome bricks and I made it marble. So he was the statesman, I'm telling you. He was quite the statesman. But he brought peace in that empire. And I want you to hold on to that word peace for me. Let's talk about the Quirinius. This is the problem. Luke was so thorough that he actually caused a little controversy for some people. Um, because right here in your Bible, everybody look at 2 here. Look at right here on verse 2. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, at the time of Jesus' birth, he was not governor. There were other governors. So you have your haters out there saying, ah, oh, we knew this thing was in error. We knew this Bible wasn't right. There's a contradictory right here. No. Here's what's happening. There's many solutions. First, it's called the first to distinguish it from one that was taken afterward. He took a big census in Acts 5. We can read about this. He took another census. So basically what this is saying is that not that when he was governor, but that it was taken by him who af afterward, who you would know now as governor. Because the book was written later. It wasn't written right then, right? So this was written later. So it also, that word first, is usually translated former or prior. So the census was before that made when Quirinius was governor. But Quirinius was a government official. He did have business in Syria at the time, and he conducted a census in his official capacity. See, the details of the census may have been common knowledge in Luke's time. He may have knew exactly what he was talking about and his audience, but that may be lost to us. 
But there is a reason he put these men in this particular scripture, and it's for us to validate time. Am I on? Is this mic still good? Okay, good. Um, to validate the time, validate the place, to validate the event of what's happening. So the reason I took that time on it is Luke didn't just put this in here to fill lines, to fill spaces. There is an absolute reason to be introduced to these characters. And so they're going to be registered. Remember, we're real close to the tapestry. We're just looking at the people's places and events here. He's going to be registered. Now, it is very possible that they went down during her last trimester. It is. We know that she visited Elizabeth and was there for about three months. So anytime after she returned to the beginning of labor, she was possibly somewhere at some point in Bethlehem. Now, why did they leave? Why did Joseph take her? Well, it could have been the social relationships in Nazareth. Maybe they were growing a little, growing a little more difficult. Maybe Joseph saw this as a means of removing Mary from gossip, removing her from an emotional stress from in her own town. It could have been. Now, I know reconstructing this, it's all speculative. Absolutely, it's speculation. But I like to think about these kinds of things because you've got to remember, she was betrothed. She was not married yet. She was betrothed to be married, but she was with child. So this would have been, <laughs> this would have been something to talk about. So it could easily have been reason, uh, another one of God's plan, that she headed to Bethlehem. Now, the reason they went was because Joseph's lineage in home. Bethlehem was his home. That was his hometown. And it's interesting, Bethlehem is called the house of bread. That's what Bethlehem means. So it's interesting that the bread of life would be coming from a town that's called house of bread. I just thought that was neat. Uh, Luke, uh, excuse me. As Luke writes here, I couldn't help also but think it's possible that Joseph and his family, maybe they had land. Maybe they had a small estate. And that was why it was so necessary for his presence to be back in Bethlehem. Again, this is all mere speculation. But it's fun to think about the reasons, these intricate details of the reality of things, yet in the hands of God and his sovereignty. It's just fun to think about. But those are some things that we need to ponder ourselves. Because it's such an interesting and important story for us to truly understand. Luke wasn't really concerned about all the little fibers of the tapestry. He wanted you to understand that these men were in place governmentally, right? Here was the event that was happening which forced the hand of Joseph to take he and his wife and unborn child from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And why is that a big deal? Well, I'll tell you right now. Everybody look at verse 6 real quick. Let's read verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. I know that there are many movies out there, TV shows, that show Joseph and Mary arriving in Bethlehem. She's in labor. She's about to give birth. I mean, it's a panic, right? This is how they present it. We've got to find a place. We can't find a place. We can't find a place. Can we stay here? No, you, but I have some stalls. In the back. No. Guys, it's very possible that they could have already been there. Luke is telling us while they were there, she had the child. So it didn't necessarily mean they arrived right then as labor pains. They could have easily stayed in a crowded room with family. When they first got there, they could have easily been with relatives, okay? Now, here's the kicker. These were small houses. They're not like our houses today. 10, 12, 15 people in one room, maybe two rooms, 
right? So if someone was about to give birth, you would say to yourself, okay, (laughs) some privacy is necessary here. We probably need a little bit of privacy. And it could very well be that they were already there, yet they decided, we're not going to have our baby in here in front of all these people, right? And they were looking for a place to have this baby. Now, the inn, that word actually means a lodging place. It could be a guest room, an inn, a lodging place. It could be any of that. But there was no place for them to have this child. you got to remember, a lot of people came back to Bethlehem to register. It wasn't just Joseph and Mary. So we have to look at this and realize that there is another reason for him being born in the humble circumstances. We have the political covered. We're going to understand the messianic in a minute. But here's the humble circumstances. There was no place to have this child. You know, God promised, let's talk about prophecy for a second. God promised that the Savior would be born a human, not an angel, not any other being. He would also uh, be a Jew, born a Jew, not a Gentile. The Bible tells us that he would be from the tribe of Judah, right, from the line of David, the family of David, uh, that he would be born a virgin's birth, of a virgin's birth, and he would be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. These are all prophecies that are being fulfilled as she is delivering this child in Bethlehem because they were forced to leave Nazareth to come there. It's an amazing story. All of it is in God's hands. Again, we can speculate, well, maybe this and maybe that. The truth is, everything was in God's plans. And Luke gives us the details that he gives us. We can fill in the gaps, but again, it's speculation. So here we are having prophecy fulfilled at this birth. So I'm looking at my tapestry, and I'm seeing the people, I'm seeing the places, and I'm seeing the events that led them from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And it's a beautiful story. That's being close to the tapestry and seeing the intricate details. But there's so much more to what's going on. So we have to step back a little bit so we can see a bigger picture. Let's look at a bigger picture. And that, my friends, is the shepherds and the angels. The shepherds and the angels. Now, this is one of my favorite parts. Bear with me if I get a little too excited. There is a supernatural occurrence happening. When the angel, there was an angel first that appeared, one, and then a multitude. We're talking thousands upon thousands of angels. Now, the shepherds did not see these angels until they made themselves appear. You got me, right? You feel that? They were already there and then made themselves manifest. I can't help but wonder. How many angels were actually in Bethlehem that night? I mean, it could have been millions and millions. You may be like, well, Pastor Mark, why are you talking about all these angels? Well, think about it. Jesus was new to Mary and Joseph right out of the box, right? The shepherds, Jesus was brand new to them. Anyone that walked by was a brand new baby. But the angels saw God who has always existed in the form of one of his creatures. They had to be blown away. You've got to understand, he is God who created the angels. The angels cre- were created. You've got to remember that. They served him. They worshipped him. And now he said he was coming to earth. He did it. Look, he did it. He's in the form of a human child, and they had to be absolutely amazed at what they're seeing. That is God himself who's always existed as a creature. What were their thoughts? Think about it. What in the world were they thinking? You've got to understand, they, they didn't have to manifest themselves and show everybody. There could have been millions and millions of angels witnessing this. Again, I understand. 
I'm going a little farther outside the box than Luke's allowing me. But if they appeared to the shepherd, one, and then the multitude, I can't help but wonder, were there many, many more witnessing this birth? And it just blows my mind. And then the angels, I love this. I want to give you a sign, shepherds. I want to give you a description. Okay? Sure. There was a baby born. Okay. There was a baby born. And he's going to be wrapped in swaddling cloths. Okay. Yeah. I mean, babies are born every day and mothers, fathers wrap their babies in swaddling cloths, right? Protects the limbs, keeps them warm, reminds them of the womb. Okay. And this baby will be found in a manger. Okay. Be, uh, what? A manger? So you're telling me that I need to look for a baby that's in a manger, in a feeding trough. Could it be made of stone? Could it be made of wood? Yeah. Well, that's interesting. That'll be a little easier to spot. I can only imagine what these angels were thinking. Blows my mind. See, had they given the description of, hey, there was a baby born in Bethlehem, they'd have to go door to door. Hey, was anybody born? Hey, did you have a baby? They'd have to go door to door. You can't see through the doors. You can't find, find uh, or see a baby through four walls. What was this sign? The shepherds had to say, you know what? There's only, there can only be two or three places. If he's in a feeding trough, we should be able to spot him easy. It can only be a couple places. Well, they found him. You know, They found him right off and worshiped him. I just love that. You know what the angel said to him? Glory to God in the highest. Look at right here, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Boy, are we going to talk about peace in a minute. See, our whole purpose of today's sermon is to learn all the intricacies of this event and step back and understand now, okay, we see what's happening. But we want the big picture of Christmas. Glory to God in the highest. The whole purpose of the plan of salvation is bringing glory to God. And we're seeing it here. God's glory dwelt in the tabernacle. God's glory dwelt in the temple. But God's glory departed, didn't it? Because of the sin of the nation. In fact, we call it the intertestamental period, folks. It's it's a period where one of the last prophets, Malachi, spoke, and where John the Baptist, his ministry began. It's like 400 years. They call it the years of silence. And now, God's glory was returning to earth in the person of his son, this small child wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. Folks, that should, the praise that should come from the redeemed, right? Focused, given to God. It's due to God. It's credit to God. The redeemed should be screaming and giving him glory. But it also brought God glory. The plan of redemption will bring God glory. It's designed to express his glory. He declares his love for mankind. He showers mankind with his mercy. This is all to his glory. And folks, it is the highest expression of his love. It's the highest expression of his mercy, giving his only begotten son to die for you and I. He came for us and he delivered us to God. That is amazing what's happening here. See, While Caesar Augustus may have brought peace to the Roman Empire, the whole of the empire. By the way, when they say the world, he's not talking about the world. He's talking about the whole of the empire. He may have brought peace, but he is unable to give man peace of heart. 
He is unable to establish peace between God and man. There is the statue in the Andes Mountains. You may have heard of it. It's called Christ of the Andes or Christ of the Redeemed. It's a very impressive symbol of peace. It really is. Once uh, Chile and Argentina, they were enemies and they fought constantly. Okay? This happened early 1900s is when this thing was erected. And they decided, you know what? It's in our best interest, our mutual interest, to live in peace with each other. So, high upon the mountains in the Andes, that natural formation up there, they erected a great statue of Christ with open arms, outstretched arms that says, sooner shall these mountains crumble into dust than the Argentines and the Chileans break the peace sworn at the feet of Christ, the Redeemer. That's how serious about peace they wanted. That statue is a reminder of the peace that exists between those two countries. And Christmas, Christmas reminds us of the coming of peace to earth. Folks, Jesus says in Scripture, hey, I didn't come here to bring peace. Let's, let's understand something. I brought a sword. That's what Jesus said. We're not talking about inner peace. We're not talking about relational peace with each other. We're not even talking about international peace like these two countries. We're talking about something completely different. In Isaiah 6-9, Jesus was known and titled as the Prince of Peace. You guys have heard that. It's in many songs. Prince of Peace. His motives were peaceful. His manner was peaceful. His ministry was peaceful. Jesus reflected peace. So what I'm trying to explain to you is what he brought us was the peace between God and man. That's the peace we're talking about. See, the world is at war with God. Sinners are at enmity against their Creator, against their Maker. You were once, I was too. And against each other. But Jesus came to make peace, and He did it by reconciling the world to God by His atonement. By bringing the sinner to a state of peace with their Creator. This is what the angels were witnessing as they saw this small child lying in a manger, in a feeding trough, bringing this kind of peace to the world. Ending rebellion, right, as they submitted to God. And this is the kind of peace we're talking about. It surpasses all our understanding. It really does. The peace that God brought between us and Him. So the peace, this peace I'm talking about, it would end the conflict between man and God. To those who hear the message, to those who receive it, to those who believe it, the coming of the Messiah, the war is over. Isn't that amazing? The war is over between you and God because of what's happening in Luke chapter 2. This is Jesus. This is the baby in the manger. But we got to step back. Let's step back from the tapestry for a minute. Everybody turn to the first chapter of John. It's right after Luke. Just turn to the first chapter of John. We're stepping back from our tapestry. We see what the angels said. Glory to God in the highest. The highest form of glory that can be given because of the peace that he is bringing. But we have to understand what the shepherds are receiving. We have to understand this proclamation. Because they're still seeing a small child. 
They're worshiping the baby, but I'm not sure they fully understand the big picture. So we're going to step back from our tapestry. Let's look at John right here, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Those first five verses, He's always existed. You see a brand new baby, we get it, but the angels saw something different. He's always existed. There was no beginning for this child. The Bible tells us he was with God, but he was God. He made all things. This baby? Yes, he made all things, even the angels that are proclaiming him right now. In him was life. This was the light of men. The light that you and I have in us is because of Jesus Christ. Not only that, the darkness will not overcome it. Folks, we could make this sanctuary pitch black, and I could have the smallest match or the smallest light, and it would penetrate the darkness. You would see it. See, Jesus is penetrating the darkness, and you cannot get rid of this light. It will be seen. That is Jesus. Look at verse 9 of John 1. We're going to stay right here in John 1. Verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is Jesus Christ, the true light coming into the world. Look at verse 14. <clears throat> and when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, the Word became flesh. Everything we're reading in John is happening in Luke 2. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. No one has seen God. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ shows us God. He shows us God. 12 and 13. Look at verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not, uh, excuse me, not, uh, not, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Man did nothing. So let me, let me just recap, because this, I hope, is making you, you, you should, your heart should be rejoicing here. Listen, this baby lying in a manger, it wasn't just a natural, everyday birth. This is a supernatural occurrence that's happening and intervening in our world in the timing of God. His parents, the government, everything led him from Nazareth to Bethlehem. He was born there fulfilling prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. But his birth meant more than just that. He was bringing peace and fixing the problem between you and God because there was no other way to fix it. That's what this baby was doing lying in this manger. He was here to repair and redeem you. And we see in John that he had no beginning. He was God. He made all things. In him was life. The light he brought, nothing could conquer that light. Nothing. The true light came into the world. When Jesus was born, the true light came into the world. The Word, Jesus Christ, became flesh. That means the incarnation. He became real, a creature in this world, born human. 
The Word became flesh. He shows us God and who He is and how He lived. He shows us God. And if you receive Him and you believe in His name, you become a child of God. That is what's happening as this baby is lying in this manger and these shepherds are approaching it to worship. Isn't that amazing? All right. Sorry, I get stuck there. I like it. You know, Christ fills the heart of every believer. And the peace that he brings us will overflow. Don't get me wrong. I love interrelational and international peace too. But we have to understand the peace we need first comes between us and God. That overflows into the lives. Listen to this. There was a much-beloved man. He was a leader, a teacher in a little community of Christian students. And he lived such a life of serenity and calm. I, I, some of you are like that. Ah, God bless you. But he lived a life of peace, and his students wondered, what in the world is going on? What is the secret to life? This guy's got to know something. So at length, they determined to ask him about this secret. They said, we are harassed. We are bothered by many temptations, which appeal to us so often and so strongly that they give us no rest. We know that. We know temptation can give us no rest. So they're coming to this man explaining this, and we see you living differently. There's something different. Why is it bothering us and not you? He says that you seem to live untroubled by these things, and we want to know your secret. Don't the temptations that harass our souls, don't they come knocking at your door too? The man replied, children, I do know something of the things of which you speak. The temptations that trouble you do come to me. They do make their appeal to me. But when they knock at the door of my heart, I answer, this place is occupied. And that's the secret he was telling them. My heart is so filled with the peace of Jesus Christ that there is no room for sin. There is no room for the things of this world. They will not find a resting place here. This is what Jesus does in the life of a believer. He fills us. There, there is no room for anything else. Again, a baby in a manger. So let me ask you this. What kind of value do you place on peace? What kind of value do you place on peace? Billy Graham writes about this. I, kinda, I really like what he said. He says, I know men who would write a check for a million dollars if they could find peace. Millions are searching for it, and every time they get close to finding the peace that, they, that you and I have found in Christ, the devil, Satan, intervenes and he, and he steers them away or he blinds them or he throws up a smoke screen. He bluffs them and they miss it. You know the text in there about the different hearts, the different types of soil. Many, many people try to find this secret to life, this peace, and Satan comes in and messes it up. But we found it. We are blessed. We found it. And you know what? It's yours forever. It is yours forever. You, my friends, have found the secret to life. I hope people start coming to you and go, what is your secret? What's going on here? Your life is different. See, once we possess the peace of God, we have to have an awareness of something. You ready for this? And this is going to sound elementary. Once we possess the peace of God, we have to realize that the God of peace is living within our very being. That's who we're filled with. Why? 
Because Jesus Christ entered this world, came in his flesh to redeem us. It all starts with that baby in a manger. See, I know that they worship properly. Don't get me wrong. But I'm not sure they understood the full, true scope of what was happening. I don't believe they had the full access to the tapestry you and I get to look at. Because now we're stepping back. After reading all those verses of John, we're stepping back and going, oh my goodness, I can see the whole picture now. I see how all the pieces are connected. This is the redemptive plan of God. Glory in the highest I hope that you get a wonderful Christmas present this year. I do. I hope you get a wonderful Christmas present. I hope we're all wishing for an adult-sized go-kart. We could race each other out in the parking lot. I'm not getting one. I was already told. But no, seriously, I hope you get a wonderful Christmas present. But I'm going to tell you right now, there is nothing like the gift you received over 2,000 years ago. There's nothing like it. It's the gift that keeps on giving. And... You know what one of the, like, part of that gift is? It's an abundant life. It's an, a forgiven life. It's an eternal life. It equates to what you and I would call a saved life. That is our gift from God to us. And it was in the form of a baby lying in a manger. It's not just an awesome story. The reality behind this birth, it's, there's not a tapestry that could contain it. What a picture we can see now when we look at Luke 2 and John 1 together. What a picture we see. He came for us. He delivered us to God. And you know what? He will come back for us. Who? Jesus. Jesus came for us. He delivered us. And he will come back for us. The peace he brought, you know what it did? The Bible tells us it made us children of God. We just read it in John. For those who receive and believe. His peace between us and God that he brought made us children of God, and he is coming back for his children. Folks, this is the story of Christmas. This is the big picture. Not everybody gets that. You have it. It's your secret to life. That, my friends, is the big picture of Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we enter this awesome season, I pray that our love, Father, is based and stems from you, from your love to us, Father. I know people will get mushy and they feel better about things when it's Christmas time, all warm and cozy. And, but Lord, we want our love to be based solely on Christ and what you did for us. We know you loved us first. Father, let us love you back, realizing the scope and magnitude of your love, the expression of your love, dying for our sins. And you had to come into this world. You had to enter this world. You had to come for us. Father, we are so grateful for the story and for the life and for what you did on behalf of your children. Lord, we are so grateful. This story means so much. Lord, we're going to look at beautiful lights decorations. We're going to eat some of the greatest food ever. But Father, we got to realize this all stems from the expression of love that you brought in the form of a small child, a baby lying in a manger. You brought us peace between ourselves and you. We are reconnected. We are restored. Lord, we are so grateful. We are so grateful 
that you intervened in humanity, that you stepped into history. We'll never know until we're, we meet you face to face why that particular time was the time. Why that particular place, how this all had to happen, Lord, it's your story. We're, we're trying to grasp it, Lord. We are. But the magnitude of it is just beyond, Lord. Your love, we, it's unmatchable. Your thoughts, we don't know them. Your ways, we don't, we don't get it. But Father, we see what you've given us in your word, and it is awesome. You delivered us. You saved us. You entered this world for us solely to come here and redeem us. And Lord, we want to praise you and give you the glory. We want to give you the glory, the highest expression of love we can, Father. So I pray for this season to be one that's focused on you, Lord, focused on Jesus Christ and what he means to us. He fills our hearts. He fills our hearts, leaving no room for anything else. That's what we want this season. We want to be able to, to, to really concentrate and look at the beauty of this story and how it impacted our lives. It's the greatest gift we could ever receive, Father. Let us think about that. Let us ponder and wonder and treasure that, just as Mary did. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.